We speak with Cheryl Arnold, who's a household name in shotgun circles in Tasmania, about the upcoming state election on March 23, what the major parties are promising to do to fix the antique problem, and point out a couple of candidates who are worth voting for. What do you mean? An African or European swallow? I, I don't know that. Who do you know? So much about swallows. Well, you have to know these things when you're a king, you know. Welcome to the Go News Australia podcast. It's the podcast for Australian shooters. You just want the political interference taken out of shooting. Welcome to another episode of Gun News Australia, and I've got Cheryl Arnold from Tasmania with, with, with me. How are you doing, Cheryl? Morning, Neil. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, so, coming up this month is actually a uh, election in Tasmania, which was announced by surprise on the is it the twenty third of March. Yes, it is, and there's been a fair few scramble, scramblings to get candidates because we're about to move to seven seats per electorate, so there's been a fair bit of scrambling going on. Okay, so the election has actually been announced about a year early, as I understand it. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and what do you think the reason for that is? There's been a few, I mean, the Liberal government's been in minority for uh, some time now since a couple of uh, Liberal Liberal politicians moved to independence. Um, they uh, there, there's been some concern around um, uh, continuity of supply, supply whatever whatever those words are, and so the premier just decided that because the independents weren't prepared to um, offer him an ironclad guarantee they would support everything, he called an election basically. One of those MPs was John Tucker, who was elected up elected as a Liberal uh, candidate and is now independent. And we actually interviewed him not long ago. And the mm-hmm. um, we've got that uh, podcast on our on our um, podcast uh, feed. So yeah, he was um, it was interesting because he's uh, he's a country guy. He uh, seems to be quite strong on his own ethics, uh, which are good ethics, um, that he just he, he really wanted to stand up for his electorate. And I think that was actually a really admirable uh, statement to make, even though it's, it's cost him uh, that the support that he, that he really needs, I think, at the next election. John's an amazing supporter for firearm owners. Um, uh, both my husband and I have had um, significant conversations with John around firearm ownership. And um, in terms of being a, a politician, whether he's liberal or independent, um, he is not prepared to. He's not afraid to ask the hard questions. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, I would hope that he gets re-elected because I think he would be a very good support for firearm owners in this state. Because right now, the firearm owners in this state are really under siege. Tell me a bit more about that. What's happening? I, th- I think the, the the main difficulty is that that um, we we have a situation in our act where a, a number of things are at the commissioner's discretion, and I think the antique firearm exemption is is a really good example of that. Um, a few weeks ago, the commissioner decided that the exemption um, didn't apply. Uh, and that the firearm, that antique firearm owners had to go through a whole new process. I, I'm not totally sure that that is the situation because I can understand where they're coming from, but is it a problem? 
it took 25 years for them to figure out that um, the antique firearm exemption may not have been strictly correct in mm. in the Act or may not even have existed in the Act. So my question to the, the politicians, uh, including the police minister, has been, can you demonstrate the data that indicates that antique firearms have caused this problem over the last um, a, a community safety problem over the last 25 years that it now requires such strict rules around people holding them i mean the to me the defect here isn't uh in terms of whether these guns need to be licensed or not it's actually a defect in the firearms act it should have actually spoke spoke about um or dealt with the issue of pre-1900s uh, mm. as is the case elsewhere and also actually under the national firearms agreement so they've actually the, the problem as you said is, is not anything to do with guns it's a question of actually did they have the power to actually make it and you know if, if that is the issue they should have actually worked on it from that angle but they just uh, it, it decided the easy thing to do was to scrap the exemption um, mm. and expose them uh, these uh, these firearms to the act for no reason, as you, as you were saying, because there's no history, there's no pattern of conduct here. It's purely imagined. It it and that's the problem that we have. You know, like there's there's this massive concern supposedly in the community about firearm ownership, yeah. and trying to keep and you know the, the the line that's always spun is keeping the community safe. Well, I'm sorry, we're the ones that are keeping the community safe by abiding, the licensed firearm owners, by abiding by the storage laws, by abiding by the transportation laws, by just simply being law-abiding firearm owners. The, the, the authorities don't get that. Um, and, and, and that's really where I'm coming from. We need some support from government, regardless of whether it's Labor, regardless of whether it's Liberal, regardless of, of what status they're in, we need support as law-abiding firearm owners. They've got to start targeting the criminals because that's where the problem is. I will get onto that in in a minute um, because we've had other discussions in the past about about this whole approach, um, that they're approaching it really from very much the wrong, the wrong end of, you know, the, the pipeline and we're we'll just making note here. Uh, just on the just to finish up on antiques, I guess the good news, if it is good news, Cheryl, because I know you've got some thoughts on this, is that with an election looming, Labor and Liberal have both undertaken to, uh, I, I guess, reverse that exemption. Except, like that. except the rider is if they are in majority government. Now, if they were really, really super serious, the Liberals, that is, if they were really super serious about reversing this decision, they would have done it before the election was called because this was raised with them at least a month before they called the election. Mm. So there's there, there's a real issue there in my head at least that that it's it's about the majority government. There's that that magic little word in there. So if they're not in ma in majority government. Quite obviously, they don't know who will hold the balance of power. But they're not, if they're not in majority government, they're not going to be able to do a damn thing about it. We're going to be straight back where we were. This episode of Gun News Australia is brought to you by Politics Reloaded. Make sure you follow our podcast or simply join our email list at politicsreloaded.com. 
And there was also just another small asterisk to those announcements is, is that I think uh, might have been Labor that was saying that they would still require the guns to be registered. It's just they wouldn't be required to be, to be marked or something They're like that. Not, yeah, but well, the undertaking that I've had um, from the discussions I've had with, with um, various um, now politicians that's in caretaker mode, um, is that it, it, the, the form that was put out, and the, the form was six pages for antique firearm owners to fill out for an exemption. Hmm. Um, the form will simply be a one-pager, and basically name, address, and serial number, basically. I mean, quite obviously, antique pre-1900s don't have a serial number, but that, that, that's my interpretation of it. Um, and, and they're not going to ask for anything else. Um, unless they're in um, a display cabinet, then they're going to require some sort of um, display. This, the situation is that, as I understand it, and I don't have antique firearms, so I'm, yep. I'm flying blind here a little bit. The sure. situation is with antique firearms, though, is I understand that they have to be rendered inoperable anyway. And yeah. so now that, that, that it's come out that, well, an antique firearm can be used to threaten, well, so can a cricket bat or a golf club. It's pure theory. There's not fix, they're not fixing a problem. It's, it's actually a solution looking for, for a problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so there are, there, are, there are caveats, and unfortunately Liberals got a bit of a history there with promise, pre-election promises, hasn't it? There was uh, one, I think, an election a couple of elections ago that it, a promise it made about yeah. twenty-two semi-autos. Can you talk about about that? There's been a number of um, election promises made over the years for uh, for um, for firearm owners in general. The whole yeah. the whole lot of us. It doesn't matter whether competition. And and I mean, I I need to be upfront here and say I'm, I've I've only ever been a competition. Uh, shooter, I I um, don't I don't go hunting uh, now or anything like that. Um, but I've I've had a strong relationship with hunting and competition shooting across all types of uh, of, uh, of firearm ownership. So this is a, a whole of firearm ownership situation. So yeah. we were promised certain things. Um, at one point, we were promised mandatory sentencing for the criminal use of a firearm if we agreed to um, higher storage requirements. We got They got the higher storage requirements. We didn't get the mandatory sentencing for criminal. We've been promised a firearms advisory council several times. Um, there was one. It was disbanded um, after Reen Hitting was the Minister for Police. Um, and I, I actually sat on that particular, on that, that particular one. Uh, we've been promised it a couple of times now. It hasn't happened. There was a lower um, a House of Assembly, I think a lower a lower house um, inquiry in about 2019 that had a number of recommendations, which would have been really, really good. It wouldn't it wouldn't have weakened the gun laws. All it would have done is made them more workable for yeah. law-abiding firearm owners. I think there's only one section or one recommendation, there may be two, I think there's only one recommendation that's actually been enacted. Two years ago, we were offered, I can't remember what the name of the thing is, it's Project Unity, Project Unification, something like that, to talk about how they could um, create an electronic system for our um, permits to acquire, firearm renewals, all of that. Two years later, there's been one letter sent out about it. Nothing's happened. Now, the, the situation with that and the 
the critical situation with that is we as firearm owners are constantly told keep your data safe you have to keep your information safe you know at one time one of the police ministers said don't go to the pub and and spout about what you won on the clay target range or what 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 you know what you shot that day hunting you have to keep your information around your firearms safe grand theory when right now if i need to renew my firearm license i fill out a form and i take it to the local service tasmania shop now where's the security of my data there i fully appreciate that the service tasmania shops around the around the state all have officers who have to swear confidentiality etc once i hand that form over i have no control over my data so we as law-abiding firearm owners desperately need an electronic system which i think they have in victoria um, maybe even new south wales but an electronic system where we where we can control it it was one of the recommendations that came out of the parliamentary inquiry it has not been enacted they've got a pretty appalling record of delivering is basically what we're saying and now they're just making more promises which add to uh, what mm. could, could add to that tally which is yeah. really sad, sad to hear mm. um it's interesting you were talking about attitudes to firearm owners and i think um tasmania is one of the, tr- the trouble hotspots obviously not the only one we've got western australia which i think tops the, the league ladder um, so if we had a national competition in terms of of who uh is doing the worst job in sort of foreign policy world i think wa takes the cake but tasmania is way up there way up there um because there is another matter which i'm going to get onto shortly um but after this quick discussion about attitudes because you and i have talked about guns and crime and guns and sport about how all these issues are kicked off by the narrative by government about we have to you know protect the community which is important um but they always take the view that you have to start from an assumption that guns will be used for bad and you have to move from there um, the numbers in terms of licensed firearm owners and their involvement simply does not support that uh, the view i've got and I you've got and i think we're going to have more discussions on this hopefully during the year is about the narrative needs to be not about guns and crime it needs to be about guns and sport because that's what they're used for and you're going to find far more use of, of guns in that context don't you and, and- Look, I think the situation nearly is that guns and crime, yeah, is fine. But I don't use a gun in my sport. I use a firearm. I use a sporting firearm in my sport. And so, and we've got to get away from this whole weapons thing. It just really annoys the living daylights out of me that, that, that my firearm is described as a weapon. And it's not. It's, a, it's not, you know, look, I shot yesterday. You know, I shot at 100, uh, 90 or 100 targets yesterday with my firearm. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me more than anything is that the powers that be, the authorities, um, governments, whatever, think that because I own a firearm, I'm a potential criminal or I aid and abet criminals. And it's like, you know, my husband said on numerous occasions, it doesn't matter what we do about our storage, the key to our storage or the key to every storage safe in Australia is hanging on the wall in Bunnings. It's the it's handheld power tools. 
Yeah, just, just talk a little bit about uh, this whole gun sport thing a bit more, because what I'm suggesting is that um, the, the discussion is about guns and crime, and, oh, yes, sometimes there's, you know, legal firearm usage. And as I said, the numbers don't work, work out the way. You've got 900,000 or however many shooters in Australia, um, and probably a couple of thousand, 10, 5,000 crims, yeah. a few hundred. Oh, I don't know what the numbers are, but, you know, mm -hmm. clearly they're swamped. I mean, the, the focus could be about guns and sport. And, yes, there's recognition of crime in there. Mm -hmm. Deal with that. Don't assume the worst when you when you come into this this table, because your background, I think, um, and perhaps something I should have covered before, uh, as you said, you're a competition shooter. In fact, you're more than that. You've actually had ex a significant involvement in the shooting community over the years. Can we just can you just give, quickly touch base with me on that? Just give me a rundown. Um, right, I've been a competition uh, shooter for 50, 53 years. <laughs> yeah. I've been secretary of our local club. I've been state secretary of this state association. I've been president of the state association. I've sat on the ACTA as the state delegate a couple of times. I was president of Australian International Shooting, which is now for um, a couple of terms, uh, a couple of four-year terms. Um, and Australian International Shooting is now Shooting Australia, which which is the uh, the IWSF or International Sports Shooting Federation arm, um, if you like, in Australia. So which sends the um, shooting teams to the Olympics, Commonwealth Games. Yes, that that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really the, the big end of town. Uh, <laughs> really, just making the point here that. Uh, you know, that's really the story, um, the backstory to all this. Uh, and mm. it just gets through, really completely disrespected when you have, you know. And Neil, can I just say, look, you were talking a minute ago about um, firearms and crime and keeping communities safe and everything. And you've just heard what my background is. Um, a little bit ago, uh, it's what, eight years ago now, seven and a half years ago now, I had a new stock built for my firearm. I took my I took my firearm to um, to the stockmaker in Victoria. I brought the barrels and the four stock home, and put them in the safe. I was going to go back when my stock was ready, pick it up because it had my action uh, attached to it. For what for whatever reason, the stockmaker sent it to me. I mean, he thought he could, but Tasmanian laws require it to come a uh, firearm part to come to a dealer. It, the the stock with my action that had been registered to me for 14 years was seized from Australia Post through Australia Post, through, through the mail exchange. It took me five months to get it back because during that, well, it was seized by the drug squad. Um, they figured out who owned it from the registration, said, look, you know, we know who she is. She hasn't done anything wrong over the last however many years she's had the firearm and however many years she's had the, she's been registered as a firearm owner and that. So give it back to her. And grand plan until it got to um, firearm services. They spent the next four months trying to charge me with um, trafficking in a firearm part. It was my own firearm part. That's how law-abiding firearm owners are treated and it's wrong. We've got a, we've definitely got a gun culture problem in Australia. We have. It's just not... The way around that some people might assume no. that is certainly not meant to mention that same way. Uh, it's a shocking world, really. And uh, yes, it's, it's, it's the first thing in my mind when it comes to the question of what do we do about the problems that we're in. Now, I just also want to digress a little bit uh, onto the topic of 
school groups being able to shoot under supervision. Uh, this is an issue which we covered um, a couple of years ago, and mm. it really exposed much more of the same where, if my recollection is right, uh, you had a meeting with uh, Jane Howlett, I think, who was the sports minister. She was, she was yeah. And she offered to uh, put the question. So the issue was that school groups in Tasmania can't go to organised shooting events as they can in other states. It's actually a big thing here in Victoria um, mm -hmm. where, you know, it's got also paper coverage and it's really, uh, you, know, pop, you know, it's a regular mm -hmm. thing. It doesn't happen there. And the attitude from the education minister, um, Sarah Courtney, I think it was at the time. At the time, yeah. What was, in fact, what her letters um, simply parroted the advice that she was given from the the, the education department that it exposes um, children to unnecessary risks, and mm -hmm. I mean it was very negative language, mm -hmm. uh, and and we raised that. So, uh, I guess the interesting thing of that is that the premier at the time was Peter Goodwin, who actually was a patron, had previously been a patron of a gun club in his, his electorate mm -hmm. uh, before he became premier. So. You know, it was just a comedy of errors. Um, unfortunately, nothing's changed there. I mean, this is this is the problem, the the attitude problem that you've got there. Yeah, you know, look, I should say Jane Hallett was an amazing supporter for us. She's not um, minister for sport. She stepped down from minister from sport um, uh, sometime after that. Um, it's and it's not private schools. Private schools do do some some shooting. It's simply the public school system. And as you identified, the the attitude of the education department was that uh, it was placing people at un or school students at unnecessary risk. Our argument is that it does two things. It gives kids an education around firearms um, that they they wouldn't normally get. But it also provides us the opportunity to grow our sport, um, and that's that's where we come from. But it's kind of died. I'm sorry. It's just been, it's just been too hard, basically, to deal with. We're dealing with all this other culture stuff around firearm ownership in Tasmania, and trying to um, to get our school students. Um, you know, we've we've got a young woman at the moment. Um, she's 17. She's a year 11 student. Um, she's about, she's about to head off to the nationals um, with our state with our state ladies team, not our state junior team. She actually qualified for both the juniors and the ladies. Um, you know, um, and I doubt that she'll get any support from her school. How old is she? Uh, Seventeen. How old was um, Russell Mark when he was national junior champion? Oh, I think he was like twelve or something. <laughs> you know, it so was sixteen. But, I mean, he may have had other, other title wins before yeah. that, but um, I remember this came you up know, previously. When you talk about people like Russell Mark and, and Michael Diamond, they started shooting when they were eight or nine and ended up Olympic champions. We can't, we can't, our kids can't start here till they're 12. That's what the, and I think it's pretty much that. I think Western Australia was a little bit different, um, but our kids here, it's 12 here uh, before they can get a permit to actually be on a, on a range. So. I remember that uh, looking, this is now probably four or five years ago, but looking up the um, Australian shooting team, 
which yes. should be very familiar through ISSF. And I think mm-hmm. half of the squad that I saw, which because they had the write-ups on each of the members, they half of them started when they were, I think, as young as ten. Um, so half yeah. of them started as juniors. When I was when I was in Australia, the international shooting, we used to have what's called the Youth Olympics, and um, Catherine Skinner, who is a gold medalist, uh, Alicia Scanlon. Uh, Leticia Scanlon, Tish Scanlon, who is a um, multiple World Cup medal winner, um, they were all in the youth in the youth squad, you know, and um, and quite young at the time. Yeah, um, what are you expecting out of this election? <laughs> a bit of support for law abiding firearm owners. Oh. I don't. I don't know which. I don't know which party it's going to be. But yeah, believe me, both my husband and I will be knocking on their door. Whoever happens to be the police minister. That is the way forward. I mean, persistence is the only is the only um, key here because uh, it's good. The parties are talking about this sort of stuff pre-election. You've painted a picture which shows that it's it's fraught with a lot of uh, potholes where it could come off. But you know, it's I can't think of any other way forward. To be perfectly honest, I think you got we've got to be on the back, not just in Tasmania but everywhere, and and just give them a hard time. I think I think the thing though, Nelly, I mean. It... We feel a little bit let down because, as I said, I think it was 2018, 2018 election, we had all these uh, pre-election promises. We then had a parliamentary inquiry, which ended up with a whole heap of recommendations. And five years down the track, we still only have one or two of those recommendations enacted. So regardless of which party gets in, regardless of which party has given us um, pre-election promises, it could be five years down the track before we see any sort of resolution to it. And it's too late. You know, we've had the we've had the Firearms Act now, you know, what, 20, 25 years, 30 years? Um, and it's just too late to be looking at it. And it's too late for people. The problem that we have is that the anti-firearm people keep saying that politicians are listening to the gun lobby. Well, I don't agree with that. I think the politicians are listening to the anti-gun lobby. And and they keep saying that any changes we make to the Firearms Act will be weakening the laws. Well, it's not the case. The situation is if we can make some sensible changes to the law, it means everybody's going to be able to live within them. And this is all happening in a state where you've got Roland Brown and others there mm-hmm. from the anti-gun groups in a state that had that tragedy all those years ago, uh, yeah. and um, you know that's that's the that's what you're fighting. Yeah, and that's why and, and that's why the yeah. one of the things that that is a major concern for a lot of people, but no one seems to want to listen, is we would really like some answers as to why that tragedy happened. Um, you know, there's royal commissions into God knows what. We've never had an inquiry into Port Arthur, and frankly, there should have been. I don't subscribe to a lot of the theories, you know, from our own people in terms of of that. Um, there are uh, there may be real questions, but the one thing which I think I absolutely do agree with is you can't have an event where thirty five people die, mm. and you have no inquiry. No, exactly, exactly. I, I mean, having inquiries are far less. 35 people and the injuries. Now, it is worthy, um, regardless mm. of guns or no guns. It's, it's not, forget about that. Mm. Just turn a blind eye and say, well, let's not 
let's not look into it. I think the other thing that's worrying for law-abiding firearm owners, and I keep coming back to that that uh, description of us, is the fact that all the documentation, all the papers in relation to Port Arthur have been apparently embargoed again for another 30 years or 50 years or something. Sweep it up, just push it, push the problem back, I think. Yep. There. Yep. I mean, please don't, don't expose it while I'm alive. Is the, That's probably the it. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be dead it. and gone. With the election, what should shooters do? What can shooters do to uh, make sure that the this message is carried forward at the at the at the to the candidates. Uh, look, I think we I think they just have to start talking to people and find out what their what their thoughts are around firearm ownership in the state and make a a, a judgment decision, um, an informed decision on who's going to best represent them in the in the uh, in the various electorates. Uh, Unfortunately, because your parliament will be dissolved, uh, the MPs mm. won't be acting as MPs now. They'll be acting as no, candidates. Mm. Um, but certainly, shooters, I think, should take the time to uh, phone or get hold of. Mm. I mean, in addition to candidates that they, they're trying to convince, pick the person who they reckon might might win in their seat or, or both sides if they've got the time. Mm. Send them an email. Make a phone call. If you can grab mm. them, you know, when they're handing out their how to vote cards, usually it'll be at, you know, bus stops and shopping centres. They mm. Those candidates will be out there. So find mm. out where they are and collar them and, yeah. and just I... make very, very clear that this is mm. a serious matter to you and you'll vote on accordingly on it. My my husband's been emailing and phoning and anybody that will listen. Um, he's had some really good conversations with uh, a couple of the candidates. He had a terrific conversation with uh, uh, one of the candidates from the JLN network, or JLN network, uh, Jackie Lambie network. Um, the, I, I, his name escapes me right now, um, but he was um, he was very appreciative of the fact that, that Glenn actually called him because he's not a firearm owner but he recognises that it is a, 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 a lawful activity in um, in the state. So um, it was a particularly good conversation. So that, that's a really good example of what can happen if you, you know, um, Glenn sent him an email and this guy rang and it was really good. So I think we've got to try to... The big problem that we've experienced over a number of years, though, is that firearm owners in general are... Uh, not always keen to speak up, not always keen to be critical because of what could happen to them. You know, they're, they're critical of the police, for example. Next thing you know, they're knocking on the door uh, wanting to look at their safe. And so there's this culture of um, fright, if you like, of the authorities in in and what they can do to us as, as law-abiding owners. Well, maybe... The message has to be tweaked a little bit for Tasmania to say, maybe grab the candidate at the shopping centre. Mm. Um, don't tell them your name, but say, look, mm. I am I'm a voter here. I'm a mm. shooter. I am absolutely appalled at uh, the way we're being treated. And your side, if, if they're Labor or Liberal, you need yeah. to, to, to honour everything you say mm. because otherwise I'm going to tell 10 friends to vote against you next time around. Yeah, and, big, and they'll get them. Yeah. One of the problems that we do have, though, is, I mean, we just had Labor and Liberal come out and say, look, if we're a majority government, we'll do this about the antique firearms. 
And then the Greens come out and say, well, hey, we're likely to be holding the balance of power. And we don't agree with that because that's going to be uh, compromised community safety. You know, how do you convince the Greens about firearm ownership? And the bottom line is you can't. I wouldn't even start that. I would just put more and more pressure on the majors. Um, And because that way, what would be a great story is if, sure, if they've got this thing about majority, if they can, however, agree to vote with the other side, Liberal vote with Labor, Labor vote with Liberal on that issue, then the Greens don't, don't matter. We've just got to, and as as you've rightfully identified, as as electors, we have to find out what the what the view is of the candidates in our area. And I mean, one thing that we can be sure of is that as an independent, John Tucker will support firearm owners. There's no question about that. Um, And he's in the seat of Lyon, which is really the top third, I think, of Tasmania, like that. What are uh, just so those in Tasmania? What are the sort of the main towns in that electorate? What what, what are you... oh well, uh, the whole of the east coast, and it goes it extends over into Campbelltown, like, uh, like that. It's a huge electorate. It's far too big, really, in the big scheme of things. What other towns are there? Just for for those. So who there's um, uh, uh, Sorrell, Orford, Tribana, Bishano, Swansea. Coles Bay, Campbelltown, um, towns in the northeast. Uh, I just can't think where the boundary actually is, Neil. I'm sorry. All right. No, I mean the point is that if you live in that area, uh, look for Tucker on on the the form. If you find him, make him number yeah. one, and just the rest of it, however you feel. But back Tucker because he's pro shooting. He will stand up for the electorate. He's not going to just play the party game. Um, mm. He's out. He's out of that now. He's he's independent. So if we can yeah. get him up. Um, then he's he's going to have another three months. And the thing is, too, I mean, I think we need to we need to offer some support. I I can't think which electorate she's in, but Lara Alexander, um, the other the other can the other um, MP that walked away from the Liberal Party, she's also been quite amazing in uh, in what she's come out and said around firearm ownership and the like. So um, in, in, in personal conversations. Um, so Lara's, Lara's, Lara's good value as well. Um, yep. We've got it within our, within our, uh, within Lions, we've got a, a number of candidates from shooters, fishers and farmers as well, who are, are quite obviously all pro um, firearm. Um, yeah, so there, you know, there's a few candidates in all the electorates, I think that will be um, will be good supporters of um, of firearm ownership. But at the end of the day, the electors have to find out, have to suss them out, if you like. She's in the electorate of Bass. Bass, yes. I couldn't remember if it was Bass or Braddon, but yes, she's Bass. Okay, Cheryl. Look, Cheryl Arnold, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a very interesting and wide-ranging discussion. And uh, I think the message for shooters uh, is uh, uh, in Tasmania, pay attention for the to how you vote on the March 23 or beforehand. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and that you're on our email list. And don't forget to check the episode notes because that's where you'll find out how you can support us. Plus, let us know if you want something promoted on the podcast. Maybe you've got a shoot coming up that you want to promote. Just let us know. We'll see you at our next episode of Gun News Australia, brought to you by Politics Reload.